Today's episode of the NFL Power Rankings podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hello and welcome back to the NFL Power Ranking Podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. And we are now through week six, and it feels like we're finally starting to maybe learn a little bit more about some of these teams. Um, the no- most notable change this week is that the Chiefs are out of the top five and the 49ers continue to climb. But did they climb high enough? And there's also some major shakeups in the middle of the rankings. We saw 12 teams this week move four or more spots in our rankings. Six teams were big risers. Another six teams plummeted. You can probably guess who a couple of those teams were, and we're going to get into all of this today on the podcast. And as always, a reminder that these rankings are a composite of votes from our staff of NFL reporters and and editors. So Lindsay's byline is on it, but she's not the only one making these selections, so you can yell at all of us if you're upset about the order. Uh, You can find our full rankings from 1 to 32, plus some gifts that I choose each week. Um, They're live now on The Athletic. Leave us your comments. We promise we read them all. If you listen to this podcast, you know we definitely read them all. And uh, we're going to address your biggest concerns at the end as well. Um, so with that, let's get into the bottom five. Top five, bottom five. We've got number 28, New York Jets. They are up two spots from number 30 last week after Sam Darnold's return from uh, his mono diagnosis. Number 29, the Atlanta Falcons. Number 30, the Washington Redskins. Number 31, the Cincinnati Bengals. And number 32, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, there's not a ton of movement here. I think it's the same bottom five, just in a slightly different order. So, Lindsay, the last couple of weeks, you actually had Washington as your number 32 team. But you've gone back to Miami this week because uh, I think you seem to appreciate the tanking. So what's uh, what do you think about the Dolphins uh, just eking out that loss against the Redskins? Yeah, I was I was on my own little island there with uh, putting Washington last. And actually, one one week, I believe three weeks ago, I put the Jets last um, because I was weighing the teams that were supposed to be winning and were still really bad. Um, I was I was counting those losses worse than the Dolphins' losses when they were clearly trying to be bad. But look, we had our two worst teams from last week, our number 31, 31 and 32 teams going against each other head to head. Uh, the game kind of like lived down to expectations, if that's possible. There were actually a lot of points scored, but God, it was such bad football. You know, Josh Rosen was playing so terribly for the Dolphins that they actually pulled him at some point, but um, brought Ryan Fitzpatrick back in and uh, he kind of led a, a little comeback there. And at some point I was actually texting Amy in all caps turn on this Dolphins Redskins game, turn it on, which I'm sure you weren't super excited that I was telling you to turn that game on. But it, it got really interesting there at the end when uh, the the uh, the Dolphins scored, they were down by one. So, you know, I think there were four seconds or something left in the game. And Brian Flores, God bless you, Brian Flores, for calling for a two-point conversion and not kicking the extra point there because nobody wanted to see 15 more minutes 
potentially of that game. Although it would have been fitting probably if it ended in a tie and then we had to do some weird tiebreakers come April for the number one pick in the draft. But mercifully, they attempted the two-point conversion and it was literally the most ridiculous play I've ever seen. And, you know, the thing about tanking and that the theory of tanking is that you can, a franchise can tank. And I think we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast is that a franchise can tank. And clearly the Dolphins from a franchise perspective are doing what it, doing what it takes to tank. It's really hard to get the players to buy in. But if you watch that two point conversion play, you have to feel like the Dolphins are kind of in <laughs> They're on in. this too. They're buying in. <laughs> I mean, or at least Fitzpatrick is, man, because he threw that little screen pass, which was a terrible play call, by the way. And the Dolphins coaches tried to defend it this week is that they, they, practiced it and they liked it in that situation and against that defense blah 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 terrible play call if you you want to score on a two-point conversion you don't call this little like bubble screen or whatever that was but Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the ball behind Kenyon Drake Kenyon Drake dropped it none of the receivers had even caught it none of the receivers were in a position to actually block anybody I mean this was clearly a play that they said look we made it interesting we can try to show our fans like hey we're trying to win here but then ultimately when it came down to one play to win or lose the game they did what you do if you're tanking and you lose the game. And I just had to laugh out loud about it. So there you go, Miami. Um, you're going to be in the bottom for a very long time to come. I mean, they still have a couple uh, losable games or winnable games, I guess, with whatever the situation might be. They, they do play the Bengals later on this year. They play the Jets again, although the Jets seem to be uh, a little bit on the rise right now. But uh, yeah, I'm just glad we know we don't have to see that game ever, ever again. And um, I don't feel any better about Washington than I did uh, four days ago, but I do feel worse about Miami. Yeah, I did not watch that game as I told you I would not. <laughs> I didn't really see much of it, although I did see your text about it. So I did turn it on for the end. But um, it doesn't seem like I missed very much in the intriguing football land. But um, one other thing about this bottom five, I would just say quickly is one thing is I actually had the Jets outside of the bottom five this week, if only because I had them like right where the Giants, I think I had the Giants 25 and the Jets at 26. And that's just because it does seem now like there's a little bit more hope surrounding the Jets. Now that Darnold's back, they have a chance to potentially string a couple, a few wins together. Maybe Um, they don't seem as dead as they did for the rest of uh, the time. So, you know, I think that is a difference maker in terms of how they might look going forward. We'll learn a lot more about them and whether they might have any chance at stringing those wins together once they play the Patriots uh, next week. So I think that'll give us a clearer look at Darnold and how he really um, is looking. My other thing is about the Falcons. I actually have the Falcons at number 31. And this is kind of calls back to what you said, Lindsay, about how you've been ranking teams lower who are kind of were supposed to win games where the Dolphins were never supposed to win games, right? But the Falcons definitely were. And they have just looked so bad. And they're wasting, they're really wasting Matt Ryan, like a great season from Matt Ryan. He's playing really well. A lot of times they're playing from behind, like very large deficits late in the game. So, you know, those numbers take that into account when you look at those numbers. But, you know, he ended this last loss 30 of 36 for 356 yards and four touchdowns, which should win you the game. But their defense has just been absolutely terrible. And it's, you know, we've talked about the Falcons before on this podcast. We talked about Dan Quinn and and how he might be next on to be fired. And it's really difficult to look at what they've done on defense this year and think that his job is going to be safe. They've been really bad, really, really awful to watch. And uh, they're wasting what is a good quarterback there. So that's why I had them at 31. Um, 
And so with that, we're going to move into the top five. So you'll see a trend in these teams. Number five, Seattle Seahawks. Number four, Green Bay Packers. Number three, San Francisco 49ers. Number two, New Orleans Saints. And number one, big spoiler alert here, it's the New England Patriots. So the Chiefs are out of the top five. They did not fall very far last week after they lost to the Colts, but this week they are now down three spots to number six. That's the first time they're out of the top five in our power rankings this year. I'm sure if we go back and look, it's probably the first time for a long time since probably the beginning of last year that they're out of the top five. Lindsay, you're going to be at the Thursday night game in Denver. What are you the most concerned about with the Chiefs right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to worry about if you're the if you're a Chiefs fan. Um, probably also if you're inside that Kansas City building right now as well. I mean, the biggest thing is that there seems to be a blueprint out there now of how to slow down um, Patrick Mahomes and that offense. And you, what I think is concerning is that they've gotten beat back-to-back weeks at home at Arrowhead, where they're supposed to have a really strong home field advantage. And they've kind of got, gotten beaten in multiple ways. Um, you know, when you look back at what the Colts did, it was really kind of a just a complete domination of both offensive and defensive lines. You know, that that Colts offensive line um, just really manhandled the the, um, the Chiefs defensive front and they just really had no chance. I mean, it was just a physical mismatch and that is certainly concerning. And then, you know, you saw some of those physical mismatches again last week against um, against the Texans, but you also saw how vulnerable they are uh, to um, a good quarterback and Deshaun Watson, his numbers weren't great. Like you don't look at the box score and say, holy crap, Deshaun Watson played a really good game. But when you watched that game, you believe that Deshaun Watson is at, was, at least in that game, and if not overall, is every bit as good a quarterback as Patrick Mahomes is. And the way that they just really kind of slowed that game down, they had a 12-play, 93-yard drive in the fourth quarter that really kind of iced that game. I mean, our, our beat writer, Nate Taylor, in Kansas City, he was kind of tweeting throughout that fourth quarter that Chiefs fans were leaving, which that never, ever, ever happens. Um, not At least not since this team has been good over the last three or four years. And you could just kind of feel it, I guess, in that building of what the Texans were doing and how they were really slowing that down. And, you know, so right now it's really about um, this blueprint is out there and it's really about taking possessions away from Patrick Mahomes and the Broncos on Thursday night. I think they're a team that can do that. Um, Their offensive line has played significantly better in recent weeks. Uh, They really like to rely on their running game. They've got a really nice kind of one-two punch with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. And if they can stay out of their own way with penalty, you know, by not committing penalties, specifically kind of holding false starts and those sorts of things, you know, you think that the Broncos offensively might try to do that exact same thing and really keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And the other thing that I think has to be really concerning for the Chiefs right now is injuries are hitting them really hard. And I don't think they were a super deep team to begin with. And right now they're really they're really struggling at several different positions. Um, Chris Jones is out, their, their star interior defensive lineman. He is, uh, you know, arguably probably one of their two or three best defensive players along with um, Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew. But he's so important to what they do. He's been hurt. Anthony Hitchens, their, uh, their inside linebackers, he's been out. And then you flip that to the other side of the ball and their offensive line, which was so good for them last year. They've really been struggling. And, you know, they're, they're down. Um, they lost their starting guard. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Eric Fisher, their left tackle has been out. And, you know, I think it's been fun for Chiefs fans to kind of pick on Eric Fisher since he was the number one overall pick back in, I believe, the 2013 draft. But uh, now I think they're really starting to appreciate uh, how good he is when he hasn't been playing. And, 
the troubling thing I think right now uh, for the Chiefs among all of these things that I've already mentioned is that their defense is not good. And I don't think any of us are super surprised that the Chiefs defense is not good. They weren't good last year. They invested a lot or they made a lot of changes schematically with coaching staff, personnel wise, and they're still not very good. But last year you could rely on Patrick Mahomes to score more than 30 points a game just about every week. That's not the case right now. So if your defense is bad and your offense is scoring in the, you know, 21 to 24 point range, that's a lot more troubling. And that's going to that's going to put you in a lot more danger against um, the middle of the pack teams, which I think the Broncos are. So I think there's a lot of, a lot to be concerned about. Um, we'll see how Patrick Mahomes' ankle holds up. Um, I don't think there's any chance he comes out of a game, doesn't play. I talked to some Broncos players, defensive players in the locker room today, and you know they can tell that he's hobbled, but they firmly believe that he's going to be really, really good. And they know that there's no uh, no throw he can't make, no down that is too long. You know they were on the the, the wrong end of a, I believe it was a. I think it was a second and 40 that they ended up converting last year, second and 30 that they ended up converting last year in the Monday night game in Denver. So they know exactly what Patrick Mahomes can do. And uh, I'm just excited to watch that game. But I just think if you're the Chiefs, you got to be worried when you look at how the Broncos have been playing defensively and then their upcoming schedule that doesn't really get any easier. And the problems that they've been having, they're not easily fixed. Yeah, and they've got the Packers after the Broncos game and then the Vikings, which is going to be really yeah. tough. Um, and, you know, one thing, Michael Lombardi wrote a column about this this, this week. Um, he was writing about Andy Reid and, and the way that he's been coaching the team. And one problem that Lombardi had with what the Chiefs were doing, especially on Sunday against the Texans, was they're not extending their drives and they're, they're relying so heavily upon Pat Mahomes to, you know, do these throw all the time and, and hit all these deep throws that they're – they end up with really short drives and they're putting their defense that's struggling back on the field again. And as a result, you know, the kind of long drives that the Texans are putting together, the Chiefs aren't spending that much time on the field on offense. So as a result, they're putting their defense back on and they're giving an electric Texans offense the ball back, which obviously leads to a loss, which is what happened. And I just went back through and I looked at all of our um, all of our balloting here because, you know, they they fell to number six. They were um, at number two for most of the season. They fell back to number three last week after losing to the Colts. And now they're back to six. And I wanted to see kind of where we were all at. Amy, you and I both ranked them at seventh this week, but one of our voters still has them at number two. So there's one voter mm-hmm. in our panel who believes that they're still um, clearly believes in Patrick Mahomes and Angie Reid. Um, so I think if it wasn't for that one voter, they would probably actually be a little bit lower. Um, but so they're one they're the they're one team that I have on um, falling alert heading into this week. What was the lowest ranking they got? Um, so the highest was two. I believe the lowest was nine. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I would say yeah, there were a couple seven. sevens, a couple eights and one, two. So, um, yeah, we're kind of all over the place a little bit there, but I think we're going to learn a lot. Um, if it's not just this Thursday night, because those Thursday night games can be real weird, but if it's not that Thursday night, it's going to be over the next two weeks when they've got to play, like you mentioned, the Packers and the Vikings. Yeah, so we'll see how they end. I, I obviously I think they will bounce back at some point, but it's going to be tough. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. So now we're going to get into some of the teams with some other upward movement: our risers and fallers. Risers and fallers. The biggest riser we have the Houston Texans. They are up seven spots from fifteen to eight. Obviously, Lindsay, you just discussed um, Sean Watson how he looked and a lot of their offense. And you know, just to kind of briefly add to that. 
The Texans were a team that I wasn't really sure what to think of at the beginning of the season and through the first couple of games. Obviously, their offseason was very highly discussed, I would say, with their, the trades that they made and all of that. And, you know, the last couple of games, they've looked really dangerous and they've looked really legit. Um, and even in games when they're making some pretty major mistakes, which in this win over the Chiefs, they had three drop touchdowns, two interceptions from Watson, and 10 penalties. So, but a key of what we haven't seen the last season and at the beginning of the season from them was he uh, Watson was not sacked and he that's the second consecutive game that he was not sacked. So we're seeing some positive change on their O-line, um, which, you know, maybe Bill O'Brien knew what he was doing with the with the move from Tunzel. And um, so and then also uh, he so as you said, Watson's having an excellent season. We don't know whether we don't know where they get bold enough to claim that he's necessarily on the same level as Pat Mahomes yet, but like we're not that far off because he is in the MVP conversation for sure. I think that this game solidified him in that very, very early MVP conversation. Um, he's got 706 yards, six touchdowns uh, against the Falcons and the Chiefs. Um, so that's just in the last two games. Um, and another key to what the Texans did, as you talked about, Lindsay, was they really just shut the Chiefs down in the second half. They they only they held the Chiefs offense to 61 yards. Um, and while having an injured secondary, they did sustain some injuries on offensive line as well. Titus Howard got hurt. So they'll have some things to figure out. But the fact that they've been doing this with some injuries, with some penalties, with some drops and interceptions – that's a sign of a team that once they have a clean game can be potentially winning these games by a lot and really solidify them, themselves as a presence in the AFC. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're a really kind of a team to watch and we, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where it was like almost you forgot about the Texans and yeah. we kind of forgot. And I think heading into the preseason, it was, they lost so badly in the playoffs last year to the chiefs. Actually um, they lost so badly in the playoffs that Although was that game the Chiefs? Why am I? Sorry, but this might we might need to edit this out. Sorry, let me look that up really quick. <laughs> Playoffs 2019. Um, I might be looking at the year previously. No, they lost to the Colts. Um, so you know when we were heading into the season, it was really easy to kind of overlook the Texans. I think because we we remembered how their season ended. They lost really badly in the playoffs, 21 to seven to the Colts in the wild card round. And so you kind of forgot about how they went on a nine game winning streak late last season to go ahead and actually win uh, the AFC South. So, you know, I think we maybe we overlooked some of that and forgot just like how well constructed the rest of this team is. Because yes, like you mentioned, they were kind of a dumpster fire off the field this year. Everything that went on with Jadavian Clowney and you know, they, they had some injuries and there's just, there was just a lot going on there and all of those kind of wacky trades, but, you know, ultimately they have a really good defense. Um, their secondary is going to be something to watch this week when they play the Colts. If, um, if their, their number one cornerback, Joseph is going to be able to play, he's been out a little bit. They also lost Bradley Roby last week. He's going to be out for a little bit of time. So, you know, I think they, they also have a couple injury concerns there right now, but they absolutely deserve to be on the rise. And we talked about this on the Mailroom podcast last week. We you know, we had a question about who is the second best or who is the third best team, excuse me, in the AFC. And that was assuming that it was, you know, the Patriots number one and the Chiefs number two, potentially, you know, kind of in any sort of order. 
But now I think you have to put the Houston Texans very squarely in that conversation for being the second best team in the AFC. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they are going to be able to be more competitive with the Patriots should they match up with them again in the postseason. Like we've seen, you know, a couple times in recent years where those games haven't been competitive. So right now, I, you know, I think that they're the second best team right now, just based on the fact that they beat the Chiefs head to head. And I really like their chances um, against the Colts this Sunday. Yeah, that's definitely one of our must-watch games, probably the most one of the ones I'm the most excited about because that AFC South division is kind of when you know heading into the season it was wide open and it still is, you know, it now it's kind of it's narrowed down to a fight between the Texans and the Colts, but it's going to be uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what both those teams that I think are very talented, um, you know, I think the Colts have better coaching in place, but the Texans probably have more dynamic talent. So, that'll yeah. be quite the matchup. And Houston wasn't our only riser this week. As we kind of mentioned off the top, there were a lot of teams that were kind of moving up and down in several teams that took some kind of like really big jumps. And our other big risers, we're going to move through these ones fairly quickly, but the Minnesota Vikings, they're up six spots back into the top 10 at number seven. And then the Broncos, Steelers, and Panthers, they each moved up five spots this week. So it feels like, you know, we're, we're maybe learning a little bit more about some of these teams. Maybe there's a little bit of knee-jerk reaction with some of these, you know, with the Broncos who now have won two games in a row. Their defense looked really good. You know, the Steelers won, won a road game with Devlin Hodges at starting quarterback. And, um, you know, the Panthers, that, that game in London, which I don't know if everybody caught it because it was so early in the morning. You know, I live in Denver. It kicked off at 7.30 in the morning. Like, I didn't, I hadn't even finished my coffee and they were, they were already up like 21 to 7. And, you know, but they it was really interesting to see that they were able to win a game and win a game convincingly without Christian McCaffrey putting up uh, bonkers yards. So, you know, I think those teams all really deserved to go up. Let's see now if they're just a moment, uh, you know, a, a fleeting, a fleeting rise or if those teams are really kind of pulling it together and are, are going to be uh, teams to watch, you know, for for significant weeks going forward. I mean, I, we've talked about the Broncos and Chiefs. If the Broncos are able to beat the Chiefs next week, I mean, they're going to take a significant jump up next week, I believe. Yeah. And then the AFC West becomes much more interesting than anyone thought it would be, if that's the case, because then the Raiders have a winning record as well. So um, the Panthers are one that's interesting because you mentioned this in your power rankings, Blair Blinsey. They're coming off of another good win, but they're going to have a decision to make, and it's going to take a lot of the headlines away from the fact that they're winning and on to the quarterback controversy that's about to come up there because it sounds like Cam Newton is getting healthy and potentially ready to come back. So they're going to have to choose whether they stick with the hot hand in Kyle Allen, who has been winning for them, or they go back to obviously their franchise quarterback, the kind of the face of the franchise. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be a decision. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of debate about it. I don't know if you have a stance, Lindsay, on what they should do. I think Mike Sando and his um, – in his pick six column on Monday, kind of talked to different execs. I think he had three different execs uh, quoted about it. And um, one there it was kind of three totally different opinions. One of them was you ride the hot hand and you wait for Cam to be as healthy as possible. The other one was, you know, there's just no way that you cannot put Cam back in there. It's just made way too much of a distraction if you don't. Um, so, you know, we'll see what they do. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of where I stand on it is that this is just it's going to be such a big test for Ron Rivera. And, you know, he's he's now become one of the longest head, tenured head coaches. He's really respected in that building. But this is going to be a huge challenge for him. And I think they realized that they messed up the kind of the camp situation earlier in the year when he got um, when he kind of re 
re-aggravated that foot injury in the Thursday night game against the Panthers. And they immediately came out afterwards and said, oh, he's fine. He's not hurt. You know, when we were all watching the game and we could see that Cam Newton was hurt. And I think it was mishandled publicly. I think it was also probably mishandled a little bit within the building. And they, they, I think they realized that pretty quickly. The next week, they came out right away and said, Cam Newton is out. And they've kind of um, extended this. So, you know, I think what I always refer back to is the 2015 season in Denver where Peyton Manning got hurt and they, they ended up benching him, pulling him from a game. Um, it was against the Kansas City Chiefs, actually. I mean, it was one of the worst quarterback games I've ever seen. And um, look, I lived through the Tim Tebow era here. So I've seen a lot of poorly quarterbacked games and then everything that's happened here over the last couple of years with Brock Osweiler and Trevor Simeon and company. So the fact that they, you know, Gary Kubiak pull, ended up pulling Peyton Manning from that game and then he masterfully handled that situation and the quarterback going back and forth between, you know, how was Peyton's foot feeling? You know, who is going to be the starter week to week? He handled it perfectly within the building um, and then within the media and publicly as well. He They kind of set up this routine where um, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, they'd make their decision. They would meet with the doctors, figure out where Peyton was with his his foot injury. They would announce it to the team. They would tell the quarterbacks right away. They would announce it to the team privately, and then they would announce it to the media right away. And so it didn't become this lingering thing of like, who's taking how many practice reps and, you know, is it is it going to be a competition and whose job is it? And it was just made very, very clear. You know, I think you could go back and look at the way that it was handled kind of at the end of that run when, um, you know, I guess, I guess it was week 17 when Brock Osweiler was playing really, really poorly. And I think there's a lot of things that the front office did wrong in handling that kind of the the, the months that followed. But Ron Rivera has a perfect script from the 2015 season about how to handle, you know, a situation with a backup quarterback and your MVP, former MVP starter. So he should go back and, you know, give Gary Kubiak a call or at least go back and look at exactly how this was handled because there's there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And we've already seen them do a little bit of the wrong way. So, you know, I think they can handle it. But, you know, I just think the most important part is Cam has to be healthy. And if they try to get him back too fast, you know, it's, that'll be a bad situation, but once he's healthy, he's got to be their guy. But I think Kyle Allen has bought them enough time to, to, to let Cam get totally 100% healthy. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key is they're, they are now allowed a little bit of extra time to, as you said, to just kind of be as pot, like as careful as they possibly can be in terms of just being like, we're really going to take our time getting Cam back. Like, I think they should do that because they haven't really done that in the past and it's paid, it's, it's hurt cam in the long term so um okay now we're going to highlight some of the teams who were big fallers this week there are two specific ones one we're going to talk about uh one's been a major faller i think that's a total of an 11 spot fall for the defending nfc champs the la rams they are now down to number 16 um you know Lindsay, what's your biggest concern looking at them Whew. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to go on. And man, I was I was really excited to watch the the Rams Niners game last week. And um, I was very entertained by it. I, you know, I really, really liked watching it. And it was not because of the Rams. I mean, that was as bad as the Rams offenses looked at any point in the Sean McVay era. And I'm including the Super Bowl in there when they only scored three points. I mean, that it was really, really hard to watch. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things to be concerned about. I think Jared Goff is getting 
a lot of the blame here. I mean, for how, how, how unproductive he was, you know, but I think the biggest issue that's going on right now and the number one concern for the Rams right now is how poorly their offensive line has been, play, been playing. And this was the big gamble that they made in the offseason. And I think they had, they realized, and this happens to every team that is good and has young players that has to resign a lot of guys is that you, you can't keep everyone. You are going to have to take some chances and hope on, you know, hope some mid to late round draft picks hit. Um, you have to let some veterans go, you know, and this is what happened when, you know, the, they've invested really highly on defense. They paid a lot of defensive guys and then, you know, they paid Todd Gurley and then they paid uh, Jared Goff this year. And one of the areas that they ended up um, kind of cutting costs on was the offensive line. And this was the number one concern about the Rams roster heading into the season. And it's ended up being worse than I think a lot of us even anticipated. I think maybe we maybe gave Sean McVay too much credit for being able to kind of scheme around some of these, the talent deficiencies. Um, but so, yeah, they've got a lot of issues right now. And right now they are ranked last in pro football focuses, um, offensive line grade. That's behind the Miami Dolphins, that's behind the Cincinnati Bengals, it's behind the New York Jets, like teams that we knew had really bad offensive lines. The Rams are worse than all of them right now. And, you know, they've, and it's not just the fact that they've got a couple young guys. I mean, they replaced some, you know, some veterans. They replaced John Sullivan. They replaced Roger Saffold, who, and yeah, Roger Saffold has not been playing great in Tennessee, but he was really good for them last year. But they just, they knew that, or they decided that they could save money there. And, um, and now they're, they're suffering with injuries. So it's the, the young guys haven't been playing well. Andrew Whitworth, who decided not to retire after the Super Bowl comeback for one more year. You know, I think the biggest value that he brought to their offensive line was not necessarily in his path blocking skills. It was kind of his overall team leadership, the, the mastery of the offense, the communication, all that stuff that he brought. I mean, he's been having a really rough time. Um, and then one of those young guards that they brought in, um, Joe Noteboom, who hadn't really been playing very well, but now he's out for the season with he tore a whole, a whole bunch of ligaments in his knee last week. So they're in a really bad shape on the offensive line. And if they can't protect Jared Goff and if they can't give Jared Goff time to throw, I think he had, you know, less than two and a half seconds um, average time to throw last week against the Niners. They're going to be, they're going to have a really, really hard time because they have such good wide receiver, wide receiver talent. But if those routes can't develop at all, and if, um, you know, Jared Goff is, you know, a little bit gun shy there, there it's, it's going to be a really bad situation for the Rams. And, Look, I think the Niners deserve a ton of credit. You know, I think their their defensive line is legit and they made they exacerbated all those problems that the Rams are having right now on offense, but we just we can't ignore that these are very fundamental and difficult problems that the Rams have. Um or difficult problems to fix that the Rams are dealing with right now. Yeah, they look like a completely different team than they looked like last year and they're, you know, right now I don't think anyone would be surprised with them solidly outside of the playoffs at this point. Um, You know, they have a chance with their schedule right now. They're at Atlanta next week. Then they get the Bengals and the Steelers. So they could potentially, you know, you think if they're going to turn things around and start to kind of click again, that those would be the games to to get your groove back in. But, you know, I don't know. They have not looked good at all um, to to all your points. They've looked. It's not just golf. It goes. I think it goes far beyond that. So um, the other team that fell was well there were a few but another big one a big fall for the Cowboys um a team we've discussed a lot here recently they were 3 and 0 now they're 3 and 3 they lost to the Jets who were winless um they did have Sam Darnold back but still 
would think they were still favored by a touchdown. You know, this was a game that people thought the Cowboys were going to win. They thought, just like I said about the Rams, like they're going to play some bad teams now. They'll get back on track. That's what everyone thought this game was going to be for the Cowboys. And instead, they were trailing again. I believe it was 21-6 at halftime. They've done that now uh, in I think all three of these losses, they've been trailing at halftime, giving up, you know, only scoring. I think they only scored three points in the games before the two games before that at the half. And now they're um, this was they scored six. They haven't really been able to get anything going. Uh, and then they kind of, you know, they, they mount these comebacks that, you know, they ended up only losing because they couldn't convert the two point conversion at the end of the Jets game. But why is it coming down to that? Because they can't get anything else going. And so, you know, obviously they're, they've been hit with a lot of injuries. Their offensive line has been injured. Uh, they lost Amari Cooper on, like, the first drive of this game against the Jets. So things haven't been going their way, but they certainly don't look very good right now. There are a lot of problems. You know, they're, they're, they, um, they, their defense, Sam Darnold, hit deep passes of 24 yards or more in every quarter of the game. Um, and they were giving up a lot on early downs. I think they had kind of game planned to just stop Le'Veon Bell, which they did pretty effectively. But then they were giving up all these deep balls and they were getting beat that way. And so, you know, they have been probably one of the biggest examples of just a team that we were really, really high on. I think they were number four a few weeks ago here. And we got a lot of comments from our loyal readers who <laughs> said that we had them too high from the beginning because the strength of their schedule was really, really easy at the beginning of the year. And we kind of just kept ranking them pretty high. And then they gradually have fallen. And now they are, what are they at, Lindsay? 18. So they fought, they took a big fall. The beginning of their, their you know, their first three games were the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. So they were 3-0. Their next three were the Saints, the Packers, and the Jets. And now next week, they have the Eagles. Um, and then... They get to play the Giants after their bye. But then, you know, the Vikings and the Lions and the Patriots, this isn't an easy schedule. So they could be in trouble. Again, just like the Rams, I'm not sure I see a clear path of recovery here right away. I mean, obviously getting their some of the, these injured players back and, and kind of getting that line healthy is going to be key. But they've looked, they've been really disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I have them even lower. You know, I think I was the the outlier in our on our Cowboys ballots last week. I dropped them really far. I actually dropped them to 21 this oh, week. Wow. They're at 18. Um, you know, I, I guess I didn't have them needing to fall quite as far. But yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of issues right now. And look, if we did our hot, our, if we did a coaching hot seat rankings right now, Jason Garrett is back on there. I mean, yeah, uh, oh, 100%. I, I tweeted out my favorite picture ever of Jason Garrett, a zombie Jason Garrett, because what is going on in the coaching staff right now? You know, I think we were all so excited the first couple of weeks about Kellen Moore and the, the, the offensive changes that they've made. And now all of a sudden they kind of just look like the same old boring Cowboys. It's like they swapped out the, the old, you know, that their new innovative uh, offense and they found like the Scott Linehan's old playbook and like swapped it in. And, you know, they're just forcing too much to Ezekiel Elliott right now. And um, like the injuries are an issue, but I just think there's, we're just seeing so many other coaches that do more with less and uh, are able to kind of coach around. You know, look, I mean, Mike, we had Mike Tomlin on, on that our hot seat rankings a couple weeks ago. They just went on the road and won a game with their third string quarterback. Yeah. You know, where we've seen, you know, we've seen a lot of coaches kind of get their teams through injury situations better than Jason Garrett is doing right now. And I don't think the injuries that 
look, look, Tyron Smith is one of the best left tackles in the NFL, but you should be able to survive a couple games without your starting left tackle. And, you know, you should be able to survive a game if Amari Cooper gets out, if you're built to win with Ezekiel Elliott and they're not, they're just not doing it right now. So the, their, their path to recovery, I think their one silver lining right now is that the the rest of their division, that the NFC East is really, really confusing. Yeah. The Eagles were one of our other big fallers. They went back six spots after losing to the Vikings um, and losing convincingly to the Vikings. You know, I think that the we're seeing that the Eagles are a very flawed team right now. And, you know, their secondary is an issue. Their pass rush is an issue. Um, you know, they're, they don't seem to have, you know, I think going into the season, we all thought that Zach Ertz was going to be this really kind of elite weapon because he has been in the past and he just hasn't been. And their other receivers just aren't really able to get any sort of separation right now. So, you know, I think that's that's the silver lining if you're Dallas right now is you you win at home on Sunday night against the Eagles and your playoff hopes are not just hanging on by thread. I mean, they're they're alive and well just because that division is winnable. But if they lose to the Eagles, you know, then I think you start panicking a little bit more and you know, maybe they drop a little bit more and they're they're actually into the 20s next week. Yeah, the, the NFC East is extremely confusing. And the Eagles, I think, have been our biggest flip-flopper. Like, whenever they lose, they drop, like, eight spots. And then whenever they win, they move back up, like, eight spots. So we'll uh, have to see what happens with them. We hear you. All right. So now we are on to our We Hear You uh, segment, which is when we read um, some comments from our subscribers. And uh, we're going to acknowledge, as we said, we read all the comments. So... We've got a two here, but they both uh, they both start on the same theme, which is uh, our ranking of the Patriots at number one. They've been number one all season. Um, so Christopher P says, I have no idea how the Patriots are still number one. They're only as good as their last win, and they've been beating up on really weak teams. The Niners just dominated the NFC champs with a good number of key players missing. It's been a long time since their week one win. They barely walked away with the win from the Bills. It'd be like if the Yankees only played Baltimore all year long, yet you rank them first because of how dominating they are. <laughs> and then we've got another related comment. Let me find the name. It's Jeffrey L. He says, don't understand how Saints aren't number one based on this criteria since the Niners and the Pats are both undefeated and are top five in the big categories, but you rank the Saints higher than the Niners. So these two comments kind of serve as around kind of our refusal to move the Patriots out of that number one spot, despite the fact that you can make an argument that they've had by far the easiest schedule in terms of the teams they've played. And a lot also, I think when we were moving up the Niners the past couple of weeks, like that's always the first thing that kind of gets clapped back in the comments is like the Niners schedule so easy and these other teams, their schedule is so easy and that seems to go into our thought process when we move up these other teams, but it doesn't seem like it's impacting us as much when we kind of refuse to move the Patriots out of the top spot despite, you know, really balanced performance from the Saints or, you know, it's a, another undefeated team in the Niners who just beat the NFC champions. Yeah, I mean, and the, I just think the thing with the Patriots is that, yes, their schedule has been uh, ridiculously easy, but their schedule is always ridiculously easy yeah. because the AFC West or the AFC East, excuse me, year in and year out is, you know, for the most part, a joke. And, you know, I just I, usually they lose one of these games. You know, I think in the recent years they would have lost one of these random September games. They would have either, you know, they would have lost that game to the Bills or they would have done something really stupid against um, against the Giants. So 
I think we are paying attention. I certainly am paying a lot more attention to kind of the the concerns that are going on with the Patriots offense, the issues that they're having with injuries and personnel groupings and, you know, what their wide receiver core looks like. And if, you know, if they're going to, if their tight ends are going to be able to survive, I mean, but their defense right now has been really, really good. And, you know, I think their defense and the Niners defense are kind of ranked, you know, number one and number two. I think the the Niners are technically just a little bit higher in Devo, DVOA right now, but they're both so significant significantly further ahead than any of the other teams. So, you know, I don't want to say that we're dismissing, you know, the concerns about the Patriots. I think we're paying attention, but they're also getting a lot of deferential treatment for being the defending Super Bowl champs, for being the team that just always finds a way to adapt when something seems to be going wrong. And, you know, we'll see what happens when they start playing some better competition. But, you know, we looked, you know, I've been looking ahead to this kind of stretch that the Patriots are going to have later on in the season where, you know, they're they're going to have to play the Texans and the Ravens and the Browns and the Eagles. And with the exception, I think, of the Texans, like th- those games do not look that that difficult no, anymore. Not know? at all. You know, I think, we're you know, and even the Chiefs game, you know, they're um, they just don't look as daunting as as that is that stretch did earlier. So, you know, I don't want to say I'm never taking the Patriots out. Um, you know, I think if the Niners continue to, you know, win in really dominating fashion and the Patriots are, you know, have some more offensive struggles, maybe. But, you know, I think at this right at, at right right now, the Patriots still deserve to be there. And, you know, I think that the, the issue with the Saints and the question about the Saints, I, I think it's a really valid one because and I wrote this in the power rankings today. You can find them right now on The Athletic. I think what has happened right now is that Drew Brees's absence has really allowed us to see just how well that roster is constructed, just how much talent there is everywhere else, and especially um, on their offensive line and on their defensive line and in their defensive secondary. You know, I think players that you know, we knew we're good. Like, look, we knew that Cam Jordan was a really good pass rusher. We knew that Marshawn Lattimore is a really good cornerback. Look, he won the defensive rookie of the year a couple of years ago. But these guys are really being allowed to shine now where I think for for so many years, you've kind of just either assumed that the Patriots were going to be good because of Drew Brees and Sean Payton or Drew Brees got so much of the credit for them being good. And right now, the way that they're winning, um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is doing just enough. You know, I don't think anybody's, you know, going to confuse him with an MVP candidate right now, but he's certainly shown that he deserves to be a starting quarterback in this league. But what it's really doing is making us appreciate um, the work, the, the job that Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis have done in building that team, how how, how good their defense is and um, what a good coaching job he's doing. So, you know, I think that ta- the, the Saints might be the most complete team right now, and that's going to make them super dangerous whenever uh, Drew Brees uh, is, is back and is fully healthy. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap this up with our uh, power up, power down, right? Or Lindsay, did we need to, I guess quickly, you can just take us through the games to watch this week and then we can go into power up, power down. Yeah. Although I, <laughs> we might have touched this on is kind all. of like, a, I was going to say, this is going to pull back the curtain a little bit on this, um, the podcast right now, because we've talked so much about the Rams. And while we've been talking, the Rams have just made two trades to address some of the issues oh, that really? are going on right now. Yeah, and they're they're pretty big ones. So I think we need to, you know, make a little like breaking news alert right now. But um the Rams have traded cornerback Marcus Peters to the Baltimore Ravens. That's that's a major trade. I mean, that is really, really significant. Um, you know, and this is according to Ian Rappaport at NFL Media right now, um, who is not wrong about these sort of things, but that is a major trade. I mean, that is huge because the uh, the, the the Ravens really needed secondary help, and um, 
you know, I'm curious to see exactly what um, what the Rams are going to get back in the deal. But that's not the only trade they've made. The other trade that they made is they traded with the Browns. And this has been announced by the teams right now. They traded for center Austin Corbett. So the Browns really needed or uh, the, the Rams, excuse me, desperately needed offensive line help, which, which we just talked about. And they went out and they found somebody. Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams, has been one of the most aggressive uh personnel guys when it comes to the trade market in recent years. And we've seen it, look, they traded to get Marcus Peters in the first place. Um, and now they've already traded him away. And that just shows that, you know, that he wasn't going to be part of their long-term plans or, you know, when I, when I was out there this summer during training camp um, and was talking to Lesney, he said that they had had some kind of preliminary discussions about a long-term, you know, kind of a new contract with Marcus Peters. Um, but now, you know, now they traded him away. He's it's kind of going to be a one year rental now for the Ravens, but the Ravens desperately needed help in the secondary. Um, so that's really, 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 really interesting. Um, but then they made a move to try to improve their offensive line even a little bit. So, you know, this is just a little bit of a taste of what we're gonna what we're gonna get when we get to the trade deadline yeah. here in a couple of weeks. But there are the Rams out realizing that they needed to make some roster adjustments, and uh, and there they go. And we don't know right now. It doesn't look like we know the player that they're getting back, but it does look like it's going to be a player uh, for player deal with the Ravens. We just don't know who that is yet, at least that I've seen. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's the breaking news edition of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's get up and power, power up and power down. Power up, power down. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a couple weeks here, you know that I am. Um, and if you follow me on Twitter by Lindsay H. Jones, you know that I like to talk about officiating a lot because it's something that bothers me a lot because it affects um, the play on the field and it affects the viewer experience. And the Monday Night Football game um, between the Packers and the Lions was just kind of another glaring example of um, the, the league's officiating crisis that's going on, and they just can't seem to get it right. And right now, the NFL owners are meeting in Fort Lauderdale. Um, Al Riveron, the VP of officiating, he is there. He's meeting with the ownership. Um, Troy Vincent, his boss, the you know VP of football operations, he's there. Also, will be doing some media while he's there. But this is a major. This is it's a crisis. That's like it's the only word that we use to describe it, and it's it's affecting games and. The competition committee is not meeting down there, but they need to do some major overhauling, I think, of the officiating um, kind of the, the entire rule book of the replay system. And, you know, I just think there's so many issues. Last night, it wasn't the Monday night game. It was not the pass interference rule that was the issue. It was, you know, two illegal hands to the face calls, which the league has already come out and said that at least one of those was a blown call. I think if you watch the game, it was pretty obvious that both of them were blown calls that really affected games. And they kind of, they tried to establish the standard of we're going to use replay to fix the egregious pass interference penalties. But the problem is, is that egregious missed calls are not just happening with pass interference. And there's one person, Al Riveron in New York, who's deciding what that standard for egregious is. And it's just, it's not working right now. It's affecting games. It's affecting the credibility of the league and the league's officials. You know, if the idea of of expanding replay was to add some transparency or to avoid the appearance of impropriety or conspiracy theories, it's just not happening. So thumbs way, way, way down to officiating. We're six weeks in and it's no better than it was at any point last year. And I don't know what the what the easy fix is, but what they're doing right now is not working. So powering way, 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 way down. And please don't let this, you know, let's not let officiating 
be the storyline for the rest of the season. I'm just afraid that it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, obviously last night or Monday night was really, really bad with the way that, you know, you can say that the Lions were basically that game was decided because of a penalty that was not a penalty. And then, you know, even before that, though, like all of Sunday was just kind of another display of that officiating. At one point I was watching the Cowboys-Jets game and there was just a drive of like six straight plays called back for flags on, you know, either team. But it's like it was six in a row of just flag, 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 flag. And I I think I I started all caps tweeting. I just texted. Yeah, I was just like, this is unwatchable. I don't want to watch this. This is not fun. Like, it's just everything is getting called back. So it's really having an impact. And if you go on Twitter and look, like, it's just what everybody is talking about. Nobody's been talking about the actual games or the action or the players. They're just talking about the officiating and how bad it's been. So they need to fix that. I also agree. Thumbs way, way down for that. My very, very quick power up is going to be for the Seahawks for doing their bye, bye, bye celebration after they <laughs> scored a yes. touchdown. I support all boy band celebrations, specifically in sync celebrations. I'm here for it. Uh, I hope that the officiating gets better and the celebrations continue to be based in in sync songs. So, so were you, so were you team in sync over Backstreet Boys? I was boys? very much so. Although, like, I still you know appreciate a good. Backstreet Boys song, but definitely see this is this is just showing the generation gap between you and I because I was like a hundred percent Team Backstreet Boys, although I do appreciate that bye 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 dance. But if we could get somebody like do a little I want it that way or um, you know Backstreet's back, a little like Halloween inspired, like let's get on that, and make that happen. <laughs> I'm fine with so. all boy bands related content. I just you know yes. personally more of an in sync girl. <laughs> But <laughs> so this is going to wrap up our episode. Come back Thursday or Friday. The end of this week, we'll have our bonus podcast for athletic subscribers where we'll be ranking all things boy bands or <laughs> something else that's more relevant to the NFL. Um, but make sure you check out the power rankings on the athletic. Leave your comments. We will read them. We promise. Tweet us at the athletic NFL and uh, check us out later in the week with our bonus podcast. And then we'll be back next Tuesday for the post week seven rankings.